0: Thank you. You may be seated. Nice to have you here this morning as we enter into, you know, the Christmas season. And uh, we have a special treat for you today. Um, we have, um, we, we have a, a special presentation this morning of the way that we're going to present the message um, it 's not just going to be me today it 's going to be Matthew and devin, our two of our staff members who are going to come up here i 'm going to introduce them uh, in fact, come on up guys i 've already introduced you come on up and uh, and and share this uh, this time with me we 're going to sit right here we 're going to talk about um, the grace of Christmas and the passage that you know Sarah alluded to just a few moments ago and uh, we 're going to Kind of expound that particular passage and, and, and do it uh, in this way, yeah you're I think you want to check your mics and make sure you guys are on
1: there we go, hello, hello.
0: yeah, you guys there are I on go. okay now, I want to make something really clear, okay, when I told people that it was going to be the three of us up here, I got is it going to be the three wise men or the three Stooges okay. Um, and the answer was none of the above, right? It's going to be somewhere in between. But anyway, Matthew, Devin, thank you for joining me as we look at this particular passage. Just an opportunity for us to talk about. Next week we're starting a series called What Child Is This? And today we want to look at this whole concept of grace. What grace is this? It's kind of an invitational um, uh, initiation for the sermon series next week, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to talk about some truths that we have, you know, this time of year that are personal truths and, and really important and dynamic truths. And we're going to look at Galatians 4, and we're going to kind of take some time together to talk about Galatians 4. Matthew, you want to give us a, a, you know, before Devin reads it, want you want to give us a backdrop of this particular passage and why it's important.
1: Uh, you know, in the movies, when uh, the parents go away and the next scene is the house is all destroyed, and uh, that's sort of what was going on in the Galatian church. And I only know that happens in the movies. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, in the back, kind of the backstory to this, this passage is Paul leaves. He had just planted a, a church with the Galatians, and uh, as soon as he leaves, these teachers show up and these teachers were claiming that to be a christian you you needed to follow the basically the jewish laws the customs and uh, convert to basically uh, judaism and paul reminded uh them in this letter that the galatian the church that obedience to any moral code is not what makes us right before god and the word paul uh, likes to use to describe what makes us right before god is justification and uh the Bible is a story, and the story begins with God creating humanity to reflect his goodness into the world. But the story has a kind of a twist, and that was that we, we messed that up. We did this thing called uh, sin. And God, in his story, made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and, and their task was to be a light in the world until the Messiah, and that word means a savior, would, would come. And their code, their law, their morality was was to reveal that they needed a, a Messiah. And their customs were to point forward to that Messiah's arrival. And Paul, he identifies the Messiah as Jesus Christ. And to be justified, to be made right with God, it doesn't, doesn't require obedience to the Jewish laws and customs. And you know, these are kind of signposts that point forward to the future. But faith in Jesus, that salvation had come in him... And this is, the, this is a message Paul had been basically spending his entire life arguing. Um, in the verse before it, he, he says, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of the world. So Paul's kind of saying, it's time to grow up, get out of your parents' basement, and start acting your spiritual age.
0: Okay. Right? Yes. Yeah, you know what? You, you said something earlier I want to I key in on. Is that, and, and can we be honest here for a minute, all of us? We have a tendency to, to say, I want to be a part or I want to do something in order to be right with God. Like, we want to be able to take some credit for it. We want to be able to say, you know, I did this, you know, I gave this amount, I, I, I you know, contribute here, I serve here, I, I do all this stuff. And if we're not careful, we build that kind of a lost system within ourselves. And then we can stand before God and say, I'm right before God because it's all the stuff I do. Right? And this is, this is a, a dangerous place to be and this is where the galatians are and this is why this passage is really important for us because the tendency is is we want to have a part of god's glory when it comes to what he's able to do
1: grace grace is too simple
0: grace is too simple absolutely it's hard but it's too simple it is at the the very same time yeah Uh, devin you want to read the passage for us it's going to be up on the
2: screen sure But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Thanks. Um,
0: but when the right time came, um, most of the time when we read that particular passage, all of us think about, you know, the, the confluence of all of history that would come and God orchestrated all of history at a particular time that Jesus came at the right time. But technically that's not what this passage is really talking about. If, 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 If you understand the the original context, what this passage is actually saying is that the fullness of time came when Jesus came. That time became full with the entrance of Jesus Christ into the world that prior to that. Something was just not right. Something was not complete yet. That, either, that you can talk about God orchestrating all of these events and Jesus coming at the right time. That is part of it. But the greater part of what Paul is talking about here is that time became full. Everything about existence became full when Jesus entered the world. Now, that's pretty profound, isn't it? I think that's pretty Exciting to hear that. It wasn't just God, you know, putting all the chess pieces in place and everything falling in, in the place and all of a sudden, ta-da, Jesus arrives, you know? That the entrance of Jesus into the world, incarnate as a baby, brought time to its fullest measure. And that's, that's an important... Yeah, what were we going to say, Devin?
2: Well, I was just, um, as I was thinking about that this week, I was looking over... Um... Just the expectation of the rising king hmm. That they would have had They would have expected like a David They would have expected someone huge And could command many armies And was going to overthrow Rome And was going to lead them But instead it was a baby That yeah. came in in a manger
0: Yeah, yeah And you know, born born of a woman Subject to the law You know, came Came through supernatural means Right to the world that we lived in, um, to the experience that we have, and and understands. You know, the Book of Hebrews talks about that. That Jesus and His life, He understood everything that there is to know about living this existence, which is really, really powerful, really powerful. Um, and that's what Paul stresses in this entire passage that that for the supernatural quality of it he still lived the life that we experience each and every day there isn't a single life in this room that Jesus did not experience himself he was tempted in every way that you were tempted there isn't an experience or a temptation that Jesus did not become a you know experience and and we can call him Savior from that standpoint alone. There's there's three there's three really important principles that come out of this passage that we we want to talk about, um, and the first one is this: that we are not enslaved. You know, Matthew, what what do you have to say for that?
1: Uh, you know, in the next chapter, uh, in chapter five, Paul basically he says the sum of the whole law can be. And be put into one statement and that's to love your neighbor as yourself and as i was thinking about law and you know following a moral code i realized that um, slavery to the law it makes us proud um, you know the law is supposed to teach us to be compassionate but oftentimes we just turn morality you know ethics into a checklist i did this i did this i did this look at me how good i am and it makes us it makes us feel important and the reality is, we end up judging others because they didn't—they didn't measure up to. Oh, I, I did this. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say this word. Or, you, you know what I mean? We just—we we measure everyone else up to ourselves. And these these people that showed up in the in the church, they were—they just wanted to feel important. They wanted to feel um, that they were in control, and that you know that their lives were important because they could follow the law. And Jesus says no. Um, he was born of a woman. He showed the most amazing mind boggling humility, and he thought of us and he did that to to save us and to um, to, to bring a light into the world there 's a song in uh, uh, a Christmas song that my wife and I like to listen to, and it says that the one who created the stars came and slept under them as a baby and mm. Mm. I mean, to think that we can, we can follow a set of rules, and that's, that's not what, what uh, uh, Christ's kingdom and Christ's um, message and who he is and, and what he did. That's not what it's about.
0: But the rules are easy, mm. right? The rules are easy. Grace is hard. Mm. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Now, Devin, what do you have on slavery, on, on being enslaved?
2: When I was thinking about, uh, you know, like a life of a slave, you know, they're bound to their slave master, right? There's that binding. But when you look at life, um, even for them, like the Israelites in that time, you know, they were bound under the law. And, you know, they were held to that standard of, of following the law perfectly in order to have that good relationship with God but then even for us today, we're still bound by everything that life brings forward. You know, there's there's good binds as well as bad. I'm not trying to say like everything in life is horrible and you're bound by it. But, you know, like having a family that binds you, you're bound to a family. Um, having a job that binds you because it takes up part of your time, finances, possessions, everything in life that we have binds us. But yet when we're bound to Christ, we're set free. When we give in to to him, we're completely set free, even though we're under a bind. And I just think that's just such an amazing principle.
0: Yeah, um, I want to piggyback on that a, a little bit, because when the Bible uses the terminology of slaves, it uses, you know, the uh, the one for actual slaves, but it also uses it as, as a picture of what enslaves us. Um, and, and, you know, the Apostle Peter wrote this they promise freedom. He's talking about, you know, the religious leaders. But they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Now, think about that for, you know, like we, we think we are free, um, you know, when we don't have any allegiance to anybody or anything. But, but the reality is, is you're a slave to something. You're enslaved by something. It's either sin or it is... It, you know, a slave to God, um, or a slave to Jesus, right? And when you're slave to Jesus, the the Bible teaches that that's where real freedom happens. That's where real freedom happens. To, you know, when you, you because we're all a slave to something, and it's like the, you know the old Bob Dylan song. I'm, I'm dating myself, but you got to serve someone, mm-hmm. right? You know, and there's only two people in this group that, that know knows, are old enough for that song. Other <laughs> other than me, but. I'll, I'll send you the encyclopedia reference sometime. Some encyclopedia? Encyclopedia, yeah, I just, yeah. Is that a, yeah, a, exactly. a book or You mean well, Wikipedia, yeah. right? Wick- Wikipedia. Yeah. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Wikipedia what? <laughs> yeah. But slavery, you know, and, and it is. And, and, and that's the tendency in, in religion, too. Religion can technically enslave us if we're not careful. If it's all about the rules, and you talked about being judgmental, and you talked about there is a dangerous side to the, the, you know, the, the, the enslavement of a set of rituals and principles. And it's something we have to be very careful about. And over the centuries, this is what happens to the religious leaders, that Jesus has to confront and the apostle Paul talks very powerfully about be very careful about how you distort grace by doing the rules. Right?
1: There's a there's a real uh, when you when you read the Gospels and you read Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, it's it's almost it's it's so sad that they missed it. You know, the whole story had been had been their whole history, their whole narrative. It all had been about the one who would come and set them free from their sins. And they and they missed it, and they should have known better. And um, it's 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 easy to miss when we when we value our religious laws and duties. And and they were expecting Jesus to come and, uh, and judge the sinners instead of saving the sinners. And um, we just we, we need to be careful we don't fall into that. To that same pit. Well,
0: oh, that's a that's a powerful statement. I just want to park on that. They were expecting Jesus to come and to judge all the sinners. But instead, he came to save them, to die for them. Even the religious leaders. Even those people. That's a yeah, powerful point. So we are not enslaved. You know, if you're a believer here this morning, you're you're not enslaved. That your your hope and your faith in Christ gives you freedom that nothing else in this world can give you. The second thing that we get out of this passage is we are not orphans. We're not orphans.
2: Um, Devin, you take a shot at this. Sure. Um, it's kind of worked out really nicely. I was talking with the youth about this a little bit this week. Um, we are talking about making God a priority in our lives. And I pointed them to you know, Psalm 139. Verses uh, 13 and 14, where it talks about um, how before we were created, God put thought into us and created us and knit us in our mother's womb. And um, when looking at like what it means to be a child of God, um, three things that kind of comes to my mind um, is one that we're valued. You know, God took great thought in us from the beginning, and He has value for each and every one of us. He He cares enough about us to put thought into us. He didn't just like find like a random body generator and go boop that's devin and yeah. no he he thought about you know what i was going to do with my life and he thought about number of hairs on my head and and it's just crazy to think that you know someone so powerful someone so sovereign just cares so much for us um, the other thing is is that we're loved and that kind of goes in with being valued but god's love goes deeper than any love will ever experience on this earth and to truly feel that love and underst- and come to try to understand it is just amazing and the last one is is that we're owned you know god calls us his we are his children and there's nothing more comforting than feeling that you are owned by someone that's so gracious and so loving
0: yeah matthew what what do you got on this
1: I, I was thinking about family, um, and this Christmas season, it's there's a lot of brokenness in the word family, um, and that that can be a hard, a hard word. Uh, God the Father, um, there there are people probably here that when they hear the the word father, they they cringe a little, um, and when when we think about God as our Father, it I, just, I was thinking of uh, Luke 15 with the lost son. And if you don't know the story, it, Jesus is telling the story about a father who had two sons. And the one son came to him and said, You know, I kind of wish you were dead so I could have your money, so can you just give it to me right now? And the father says, Okay, here you go. And the son goes and he parties and he lives it up with women and drink and fun and food and... Everything you could ever dream of until his running his money runs out and he is uh, feeding pigs for a living. And he decides to go back and apologize. And when he shows up to the road as it leads to his father's home, you, you get the you get the picture that the father was sitting there waiting the whole time for his son to come home. Um I, uh, I, I was blessed to have a wonderful father and um, little glimpses of, of that um, coming home and so it just that that changing of our, our mind of of God as a father who who when, we, when we're coming home he's waiting and he's ready to celebrate when we when we repent and to be a part of that family uh, I mean, how how else, like what else can you be proud of in life than 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 being part of God's family?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you realize that in the Old Testament we never have somebody call God Father? He's called a Father, but he's never addressed as a term of endearment, a Father. It's not till Jesus comes that we get Ava. We get you know this this this. Term of endearment, this kind of, you know, familial uh, relationship that we have with God the Father. You know, if you're in my family, right, our boys, when they were growing up, we even had a, a, a specific dance for our family and everything. Like, that's how you became part of our family. It's you, you had to do what we call the buddy man dance, right? And, that's, and, and if you ask my boys today to do the dance for you, they'll do the dance for you. And that, you know. and
1: Demonstrate. You walked right into that one, John. Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh, I got a call.
0: I got to run. <laughs> you know, but how many, yeah, but how many of you have, how many? Yeah, I yeah, have. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to always have the mic, you know that, right? So I can, no, forget it. Um, but you got it in your own family, right? You have you you, you have these names that you know right away, <laughs> right? No, you're not going to get the buddy man dance. Right? <laughs> Let's just get that out of your mind right now, right? Let's you know back back to you know. But we we have those pet names. That's what identifies us, right? Um, and you know, uh, in in this particular. I was struck a number of years ago. I came across something. In the particular version that we have, it says children. Do you know in the original text it says sons? Okay? And there's, there's this push towards, you know, gender equality. Right? But I read something really powerful a number of years ago where um, a woman from the Middle East was going through this passage. And, of course, in other parts of the world, right, the, the, the firstborn son... Is what gets all the inheritance and what gets all the privilege of the family, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember this young girl reading the passage and being really struck by the fact that it said sons, that there wasn't this distinction that once you become a child of God, you become a son. That all the privilege of the firstborn becomes yours. You know, it becomes gender neutral in that sense. That you're not a second class citizen. It's not that you're not the firstborn. But you are equal with the son. And you get every part of the inheritance that is part of the son. And she said, you know, I don't want you to change that terminology. Because it kind of loses the force of, of what it means to become an adopted son. Because it's what you get. You get the full breadth of the inheritance. You don't get, you know, a secondary thing or any, you, you know, it's full acceptance. Just like as if you were the firstborn son. And I thought that was really powerful. Because in Paul's context, for him to use that terminology, you know, he's using it out of, out of the same cultural background of, of, of this woman who was reading it. And I thought that i I personally thought that was really really powerful, and our adoption means that we are loved like Christ, uh, we are honored like he is honored, every one of us, no matter what, um, and that our circumstances or situation doesn't hinder um, that promise that we ourselves can have a personal relationship with God, that we can call him our heavenly Father, which I think is really you know, really, really powerful. Um, you know, I, um, I, I lost my dad a week before Christmas. And um, I'll, I'll never forget the week prior to his, to his passing. Um, you know, he, he struggled a lot with how why I was, became a pastor and, and, and why, why this whole God thing in my life. But the last week of his life, he came to faith. The last week of his life he came to faith thank yeah thank you to Billy Graham actually he watched the Billy and I remember sitting on the bed you know a, um, a week before he passed and talking to him about faith I remember him saying something like it all makes sense now kind of the way he was he was telling me that this is about a personal relationship with God and it, and it, it seemed like all the pieces started to click and this is this you know this is a passage you know i remember thinking of at that time um because of the, the personal nature because paul here is repeating what jesus said about have a father right
2: now third um did you can want I, to say can I backpack on that for a second yeah um i think another really important thing that we need to remember is being a child of god also gives us purpose yeah. and in a world like today where depression just like flows out people are searching for purpose and god's defined it by us being his children yeah. and it's through his love that you know we can come to christ his love and his grace and that very love is the purpose that we have to share that love with others as christ has loved us so i just yeah. wanted to throw that in there yeah
0: amen amen yeah 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 it's a, it's it's really a love that's hard to understand along with, along with grace right you know um, the third thing we've got is you, you know we are not poor we are we are not poor um, before, you know um maybe I'll start this time you know the the apostle Paul uses this illustration about um, and, he's, and he's using, uh, you know, the the tradition of the time where where he's talking about, you know, when a, when when the father decided to pass on the inheritance to a son, there was actually a ceremony that would that that they would go through. The the son would wear a particular toga, that that you know. Marked him as the heir of the family, and they would have this whole week-long celebration as part of the, the Roman tradition. And uh, this is where Paul's alluding to is this whole—you um, know—you get the righteousness of Christ, you get the clothing of Jesus Christ, and and you know you get all the riches of the inheritance of Christ into your life, and you get to wear that you know the, the special clothing, the special toga that identifies you as an heir. To the promise, I think that's a that's a powerful, powerful picture. And and even though the son may not be old enough yet to claim the inheritance, you know, until until the father passes, the picture is that you are the heir and you get everything that the father owes to you as being part of 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 being being the heir. And that's a powerful picture
2: that he uses. Um, What do you guys got on that? Oh, when i was uh, looking at this i was thinking okay well what, what areas are we rich in so uh, i wrote down a, a few that came to mind um, being rich in spirit we have the holy spirit within us and it guides us and encourages us and it helps us grow so we're, we're rich in the fact that we have a part of god inside of us um being rich in truth we have them like today we have the easiest access to the bible I mean, even if you don't have money to go buy one, you can download an app on your phone and have all the translations. And to have that just at our fingertips, to have that truth, is huge. Um, rich in wisdom. One one of the best things about being a Christian is that you don't have to be a Christian alone. That you're in community. That you have the wisdom of the, of the text. You have the wisdom of people that have been Christians longer in your life that can just, like, give you little nuggets of wisdom that you need when you're going through stuff in life. And The last one I wrote down is rich in life, but I looked at life like this with contentment God gives us the opportunity to be content with him And if we base our contentment in him, then it doesn't matter what we face We're always going to have that contentment because god remains constant Mm -hmm. Um, We're rich in life through worship and praise Uh, We get to gather every every sunday and sing songs together um, pray together but we also, you know, there's tons of Christian artists. We have them on our phones. There's things like Spotify that can give you like free access to these songs, so you can praise and worship when you're doing dishes or cleaning your toilets or whatever you do at home, you know. But it's it's true. We're rich in life, you get to worship our great Creator. And the last one I mentioned before in wisdom is community—the people that are around you that God places around you. That's so. That's worth so much value to have those people that just love you and care for you so much. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. This means you, right? This means you, right, Matthew?
1: I, well, it's interesting because you were you were thinking of what what being rich in Christ means. I, I was thinking what it what it doesn't mean, and um, you know there would have been a lot of people that would have thought a first century Christian was they were nuts. Um, they would have thought they, they, the Jewish people would have thought they, they, they don't have the law, and uh, the, the Roman people would have thought this is a, a new religion. And the Roman people, they just if, if something was new for, for a Roman, it was it was silly. It was it wasn't even worth your time. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. Being rich in Christ doesn't mean that we're going to have an easy life, and it doesn't mean that we're going to have a, a full bank account, or it doesn't mean that we won't. We won't struggle, or we won't experience the hardship of life. And you look at Christ's life himself; um, his life wasn't wasn't all that easy. I'm always fascinated uh, uh, at the people at people's lives who, who do have a lot, that do have everything. And uh, one person that I'm always interested in is is fascinated by his life is Jim Carrey, and um, a good Canadian comedian, and. Uh, I, was watching, I was watching some clips of him and just the way as he's reflecting on his life and uh, in, a, in a, a speech he was giving to, to uh, a graduating class, he'd been reflecting on his life and, and uh, he said these words. And he said, Everything you gain in life will rot and fall apart and all that will be left of you is what was in your heart. And later he said, I've often said that I wish people could realize all their dreams of wealth and fame so they could see that it's not where you'll find your sense of completion. He stood at the height of his career, and looking at himself, he realized he was an unhappy person. Um, being rich in Christ is is you know, you mentioned earlier about purpose and meaning, and people who have everything in this this world could ever offer are still searching for meaning, and uh, so maybe we <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: um, what, one of the points i think we need to make and remind everybody of is we talked about the fullness of time and jesus coming at this particular juncture in history christianity should not have survived the first century the fact that it survived the first century tells you it's a miracle from god The fact that it even survived, it should not have survived the first century. Because everything going culturally, it did exactly the opposite. And it should never have survived. Okay, we're going to close this out. Um, What does Christmas mean to you, Devin?
2: For me, it means change. So when you you look back at the text, and we've we've covered it pretty well. um, For them, Jesus' birth changed everything. Because it took them out from under the law. Um, for me, the change that Jesus's birth did in my life, because the life that he lived and uh, when he went on the cross, you know that that changed who I am as a person forever. And each Christmas, you know, I think a little bit about how grateful I am the fact that each day I'm renewed in Christ, and each day um, there's a little more Jesus in me, or at least I hope so, anyways. Um, <laughs> that that change is something that i can have forever and now that god's with me i have him as a constant in my life and so no matter what life throws at me that change that was made in my heart stands forever and that love of god stands forever amen yeah matthew what does christmas mean to you
1: (laughs) I, i i was uh I am the one who goes to sleep at 3 o'clock on Christmas Eve and wakes up at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve. <laughs> <morning. laughs> you actually sleep in. <laughs> um, it, my wife and I, we both love Christmas. And uh, when, when, our first, when we found out our first uh, child was going to be a girl, we, we knew immediately what we were going to name her. We were going to name her Holly. Um, She was born in July. (laughs) And she showed up with her red hair, and God just said, yeah, that's her name. But I'll never forget, it was 4 in the morning, July 14th, and I was holding my daughter. The city was quiet, and and I remember the words, for God so loved the world, and gave his only son. And the little taste of the love that I had for my daughter as a father um, was demonstrated on the cross. I can't think of the nativity without the cross. That the one who came, who gave up his amazing, beautiful experience as the second person of the triune God, came and was born of a woman. And he was born to eventually be nailed to a cross, to save us and i i just uh, christmas just should stop us and cause us to be a little silent as we think about what we're actually celebrating well
0: well um, let me close um i alluded earlier to losing my dad a week before christmas and I remember thinking back to the life of Jesus and being so thankful that Jesus came. That there wasn't a doubt any longer about his eternal home and the fact that we would one day be together. And I was struck by the incredible love that, that the incarnation communicates. Um, If Jesus hadn't come and it was just a matter of keeping the law, making sure we did the right thing, you know, how would we ever be sure? How would we ever know definitively? How could we have confidence to, you know, to sit up here and to relive another Christmas and, and live with hope because of Jesus coming and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves that's the grace of christmas we pray that that you've been reminded and touched this morning as the three of us have sort of come up and talked a little bit about this passage i'm going to close in prayer and Devin, matthew thank you very much appreciate you being part of this gracious god and heavenly father we thank you for the grace Of Christmas. The incredible reminder of what we have in Christ. The promise and the hope and the love that all comes at this time of the year as we're reminded of the greatest gift of all. And Lord, we know that each year we're reminded. And each year it sometimes gets more difficult to bring it to the forefront. But we want to pray that this year for each one that is in this room, Christmas is going to hold a special place in their heart. We thank you for Matthew and Devin this morning. We thank you that we've been able to share our thoughts on a very important passage And we pray that if there are any here today who don't know you, that they will pause and take a fresh look at Christmas again. Looking at the life of Jesus, his birth, his death, his sacrifice, and what that means for them. So Lord, again, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.